Welcome to a tale of two rivals plus one, a fantasy football podcast put on by a number-loving, spreadsheet-obsessed nerd, your trash-talking, three-peat champion who trusts his gut, and our ever-eloquent plus one to be handling the hosting duties to bring you a consensus on fantasy football for your listening pleasure on this podcast. Who am I joined by? Joined by FF underscore Spaceman Dave Wright. Guys, we're back. We're having some fun. Love the discussion last week. Ready to knock out the running backs this week. Having a blast on a tale of two rivals. And you got the walrus here. Just locked, loaded, and ready to go, gentlemen. Let's get into it. Are you really the walrus anymore? To be calling yourself the walrus, you need to be on Twitter. Why do I need to be on Twitter to have a nickname? Nicknames existed far, far before Twitter. But that's Twitter your Twitter day. handle. That's your Twitter handle. I don't think it's anybody else's Twitter handle right now. Oh, okay. Okay. Shanga okay. kicked out of the DFF chat today. I did? No. Yeah. I didn't think it would ever happen. Some house cleaning. No. Was there any kind of ceremony or fanfare for it? They said that you were not as eloquent as you think you are. That was what wow. they said. I'm just kidding. Wow. <laughs> they didn't say that almost about would it. get me on Twitter to defend. I tend to agree. I tend to agree. <laughs> well, hide in the britches, might I add. Gentlemen, for news, I think I'd like to go first and uh, share some exciting news. We have a new addition to the 3 P champion bantering bastards, and that is the one, the only, Justin Jefferson. Cool. And now on to my news. Um, no, just <laughs> <laughs> so I traded away Ugh. Kenny Galladay, Darno Mooney, the 108, and my first round pick in 2022. And I got back Jefferson, Naheem Himes, and the 303. A, there was no reason why you should have gotten anything back in return. That's ridiculous. Two. <laughs> Oh, 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 okay, my bad. I took that in, like, as in general in any trade, not the no. additional pieces. No, you okay. should not have gotten the additional pieces back. Two, you didn't get up a top 50 asset across the board. And three, I think I blew your offer out of the water, and it wasn't even close. But I actually think I put together a pretty solid offer with a lot of upside there. I think we need to know what Dave's offer was. All right, yeah. My yeah, offer, what is your offer? My offer was Juju, Miles Sanders, and my 2022 first, and I was willing to go up to Allen Robinson like, Dave instead of Juju. Dave wins. I don't know. The 108's there. The 108. I gave him, I gave him a, a significant pick in this draft. That, that, that's heavy capital. Yeah, but that's, Dave's that's, will probably be like a top of the round next year. That is true. That is true. It'll probably be like a top three, maybe top two pick next yeah, year. Yeah, 103, 104. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. We are in super flex. That is going to hold some weight with Slovis and Howell and Rattler. All right. Yeah, good point. Good point. All right. My, mine's essentially like a late second because I'm going to win my fourth in a row. But yeah, Justin Jefferson on the Bantered Bastards. Let's go. Dave, you got anything going on? Todd all but admitted to me off air that he stole Justin Jefferson. And let this be a lesson to everyone in our league, again, not to trade with Todd Foster. Stop slandering my trades. Stop <laughs> slandering my trades, okay? I threw out a good trade. You're bitter. Move on. Yeah, well, well, I'll disagree. But anyway, moving on. Just loving the offseason, gentlemen. Having a blast working through my rookie evaluations. Rookie fever is heating up. 
Three more rookie profiles this week with Najee Harris from Ray GQ, Talon Wallace from Peter Howard, and Javante Williams from EK Baller. Guys, I'm just really enjoying the offseason. This is the fun type of dynasty. Zoom out, think big picture, work on your process, and things are going to start heating up pretty soon in the NFL offseason. We're already starting to see a lot more cuts, and as next week starts to hit, it's going to get crazy in the NFL. Sure is, man. We already saw Kyle Rudolph go. He's not leaving my team, baby. I have faith. He's going to fall somewhere. He's going to be my, one of my guys. Love it. All right. Kennedy, what's going on with you, man? Yeah, just want to give a big Tale of Two Rivals shout out to the Conservation Fund down in Atlanta. They have, as of this week, opened the single largest free food farm in the United States. So what they did was they planted over seven acres worth of different fruit plants, vegetable plants, different herbs, spices, medicinal plants like St. John's wort, things like that. That is just free to the public for people to come in, grab something, leave. And it's all based on addressing the food insecurity problem that is ravaging this country, but is particularly bad down in the Atlanta metro area where something like one in four kids is food insecure. So they planted this garden where people can just walk in, grab food, leave, and they're doing it all on the back of donations and volunteers. So hats off to them. Well done. That's pretty amazing, man. That's good stuff. I love that. Pretty phenomenal organization right there. And I I really like the idea of fresh food because a lot of times what you have is people who are food insecure don't always get the healthiest foods. So that's awesome that there's it's going to be farm fresh food too, which is awesome. Exactly. You guys ready to jump into a question of the day? Let's do it. All right. We're going to do it. I know Dave's going to hate it. He's not going to like it, but we'll do it. I know he's not impressed with this question. Well, Dave never actually says anything of significance with these. He just like kind of talks around the question. Yeah. You know, that's really becoming a quickly a recurring theme. Yeah. He never really has a take. You ever notice he does a lot with when we record, which day, what time? No takes. Just I'll do whatever. Yeah. All the time. I just want some takes. Yeah. Just a commitment. I want some spice. All right, I got some takes. That Justin Jefferson trade was terrible. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> I I loved it. I, I'm a big fan of having Justin Jefferson on my team. Just saying. All right, David. In your opinion, who is the best talent to emerge from Saturday Night Live? I spent way too much time on this. It was supposed to be the question of the day last week, and I spent even more time on it last week, spent more time on it again this week. And ultimately, what I found is that SNL just doesn't stir the loins, doesn't get me all hot and bothered like some certain other things that we've talked about in the past, like a Disney movie. Oh, I get the full-on nostalgia. SNL doesn't quite get me there like it does some people. Uh, for that reason, I don't get into like the minutia of like who's the funniest comedian or who's the most talented or like a diamond-in-the-rough type comedian on SNL. But when it comes down to it, Will Ferrell has some of my favorite movies between Old School, Anchorman, Step Brothers, Zoolander, Wedding Crashers, and Elf. And then on SNL, he had... More Cowbell, Celebrity Jeopardy, the George Bush segments, Harry Carey, the Lovas, the Spartan Cheerleaders, and some other great moments. And I'll fully admit, he had some he has some misses. Will Ferrell's can be hit or miss with his comedy, but I really appreciate a lot of what he's done in in showbiz. So I, I like me some Will Ferrell. Love that pick. Did you ever see the Coconut Bangers Ball sketch? Do you know who Robert Goulet is, the opera singer? Yeah, uh, I probably have seen it, but I've forgotten it because it doesn't it doesn't come pop out. This is what I'm talking about. I've seen a lot of this SNL stuff, but I forget about it. Oh, it's magnificent. It's him in the woods in a Cadillac convertible 
singing opera takes on like the thong song, NWA songs, and a bunch of rap songs. And it is just delightful. All right, Todd, what about you? Who is your pick for the best talent to emerge from Saturday Night Live? It's so hard to pick. Murphy almost got in there for me. Uh, Farley was a consideration. But it really comes down to John Belushi for me, man. And I'm going to just say, yes, the A-jokes are going to come in. I get that. Uh, John Belushi was like one of my dad's favorite comedians. So like I got really into him. The Samurai Deli, cheeseburger, cheeseburger, cheeseburger. His Joe Cocker impression is unbelievable. I bought his Greatest Hits DVD, and that was a favorite of mine in college, and it was watched regularly. An absolute rare talent. Animal House is still one of my favorite movies of all time. Blues Brothers is an absolute classic. You know, he's a comedic genius that left us well before his prime. When I think about John Belushi for talent, and you think about SNL, I would love nothing more than have had the opportunity to see him live during his Second City days in Chicago. That would have been awesome. Do you guys know about Second City? Great spot. It's where most of those people get their start. Yep, I actually got to go to that. One of Joanne's best friends lives in Chicago. We went to go see a live show and see, like, Second City. It was, it was so much fun, dude. Just a phenomenal improv. It's cool stuff. I got a glass from there, too. So John Belushi, all day, dude. All day. That's fantastic. And I love the drop of the best of DVDs. Like, those ones that came out, like, the mid-2000s, right? Like, the compilation series that they did. Yep, I had that one. I had both Ferrells. The Sandler one, the Christopher Walken one. I definitely think I had uh, the Mike Myers one, too. Mm. I went on a huge dive like two weeks ago with one of my buddies while he was over. And we're desperately looking for those on any streaming platform. We're like going to YouTube and they just do not seem to exist out there. Phenomenally disappointing not to be able to come up with it. Were you with Saul? Yes, I was. <laughs> That's a great call. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love Saul. Hey, buddy, if you're listening. I mean, his, his name's Sal, so we might have a hard time connecting the dots there. But just to give you guys a picture of what my high school game with the members of the opposite sex was, the SNL best of DVDs were a like an icebreaker. Like we're a group of guys together, <laughs> like we're all everyone's together, trying to loosen things up, trying to get the laughs going. That's what we we went to. That that was the go to. Was the best of SNL types. Did it deal. work? What was your success rate? Ten uh, percent, which for me was pretty hey, freaking good. That's not bad. That's there you go. Bad. There you go. Ah, the, the sack. Yeah, the laying down the like the drag butt. That a boy. <laughs> so <laughs> just gotta get on base. All right. So moving in to the main finale here. So for our topic clarification for tonight, we're continuing with our tiered rankings by position. We're not getting into the individual rankings yet because we're waiting to see the landing spot, the combine kind of all those other things that factor into the process before we start grading out individually. So just for our tiers, broken this class down, we have three tiers with tier four being comprised of just the field. So our tale of two rivals consensus tier one rankings involves Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, and Javata Williams, which now that I've said that, I'm pretty sure I just butchered. But those are our three in the top tier. Now we'll do a little free play, just have you guys chime in on what you like about all these guys, because I know it seems like everybody has a lot to say about Williams lately. But on your list that you guys put in, you both had him as number three. And what's got me curious, and the question I want to pose to each of you, is that your number one was different. Dave, yours was Harris. Todd, yours was Etienne. 
Dave, your number two was Etienne. Todd, yours was Harris. So Dave, start with you. What's the argument for putting Harris over Etienne? Why does he get the edge? Why is Todd wrong? Well, let's remember, this is just part of my first tier. Yeah, I might have Najee ahead of Etienne right now, but it's so razor thin for me that I'm just going to let draft capital and opportunity at the next level sort this all out for me. I have to always remember, volume is king with running backs. And how do you get volume? You get it on the ground by the amount of carries you get, by the amount of receptions you earn, and by your goal line opportunities. So what I'm trying to do with my college prospect evaluation for running backs is when I look at their production, how does that stack up? Have they demonstrated the ability to handle a large workload in college? We all know the importance of receiving upside at the pro level. That unlocks a ceiling. And so I want to evaluate their ability to catch the ball and then also touchdowns, massively swing, week-to-week scoring for running backs. I want them to have the ability to smash on the goal line and score a lot of touchdowns. So I try to stack up how they measure in these three categories because the idea is if they get the draft capital, if they get the opportunity at the NFL level, they'll be able to maximize their opportunity and how they'll be used when they get to the pros. And Harris projects to me based on his usage as a three-down running back, he had, in his final season, 19.3 carries per game, which is pretty impressive, 20 re- 27 receptions and 43 receptions in his final two seasons, 61 scrimmage tutties for uh, his career, pretty freaking impressive. In his final season, just to give you a glimpse of what his upside could be if he gets the draft capital, has some opportunity, over 31 fantasy points per game in his final season in Alabama. And I do have some concerns about his 23-year-old, he's going to be a 23-year-old rookie, and I'm not quite sure about his athleticism, you know, but I'm not terribly concerned. I think he probably has the best chance at getting draft capital. Meanwhile, ETN never demonstrated that ability to handle the large workload in college. I think 14.6 was his best for rushes per game played in a season. However, I know that Clemson rests their studs when they're in blowout situations, so you have to take that into account. However, if you're not going to do it at the college level, you're a little bit less likely to do it at the pro level. So that's a concern for me. But the thing with Etienne is he had 85 catches over his final two seasons and racked up a lot of receiving yards. He wasn't just a dump off guy. His speed allows him to gain a lot on the ground and he scores touchdowns and has that elite speed. So there's a lot to like about Etienne as well. And that's why I flip flop. And I think there's a lot of bias with Etienne because he is the four-year player and he's been producing for the four years or three of the four years, really, whereas Harris only came on big in his final season. So there's a little bit of, oh, a little bit of boredom with Etienne's evaluation and people forgetting that 2,000 rushing yard season accompanied by the receptions and the touchdowns from his junior season. I really like Etienne. So it's razor thin for me. I'm going to let the NFL make this decision for me. However, I just want to say that just going through both of these profiles, none of them are on the same level as the running back class from last year. So that's why I'm more likely to lean with my first tier of wide receivers that we talked about last week than either Etienne, Harris, or Williams. Now, to invoke the very played out argument here, are you concerned about his age? Are you concerned about the mileage? Mileage doesn't really come into play for me when I'm evaluating rookie running backs and Etienne and Harris don't have a lot of mileage at all. Because they weren't, because for Harris, he wasn't used until his final two seasons. And then Etienne never had more than 15 carries per game in a season. So Miles doesn't come into play. However, they're both four year players. Harris will be 27 when you get to his second contract. 
Harris will be 26. People are already whispering about Nick Chubb, and he's 25. So you got to start. That does come into play a little bit, but then you have to remind yourself how often you actually have these players for life. Most players only last two or three seasons on your dynasty roster before you move on. You make a trade, you flip them. So doesn't matter, except that it is a slight concern. Why didn't you do it a little bit earlier? If you're this good, why didn't you do it a little bit earlier? But ultimately, it doesn't matter, but it does make me pause. Fantastic. Todd, over to you. Why is Dave wrong in everything he just said? And why is Etienne the better bet? Well, I don't think Dave's wrong. It's a 1A, 1B thing for me. So when it comes down to who I'm going to value more after draft, it's capital and landing spot, obviously. Why is Etienne at the top? Because I'm staying on brand here, baby. This is my boy. He's been my boy for years. I had him high on my, I had him higher on my board than Harris going into 2020. What people tend to forget sometimes is that those are two guys that people thought were going to be in the 2020 class too. So I was really high on Etienne. He was around a top five pick for me last year. Speed and explosion. That's what he is. I don't want to hear about this fluidity crap. Yeah, he didn't look like too fluid going for almost 1,700 yards twice. Give me a break. You know what I mean? So the best production by far in this draft And he's a great receiver who continuously got better at that part of his game. I believe that Etienne by far has the best ceiling out of the two of them because he is the most explosive player and he's the guy who can do the most damage as a receiver. Now, Dave's best point was talking about how Harris could be a workhorse. And if he does become that and he does get that kind of volume, and Etienne I don't agree with Dave. I think Etienne's probably going to get a little bit more carries than that. And I think he'll probably demand more targets. But that all depends on where he is, you know? And like Dave said, like he always, like this is something I did hear from Dave, talking about the difference between a target versus a carry and, and the upside in that. And I think Etienne's the perfect example of that. So I just love Etienne's ceiling. And I've loved watching him play for so many years. But when it comes down from Harris versus Etienne, it's going to come down to draft capital landing spot. But what I will say is Williams is not the Q, the RB1. Williams or Harris? Williams. Williams is not the RB1. Okay. That is like, I'm fine with anybody saying Harris is the RB1. That's cool. I could change my mind tomorrow. In fact, I've had Harris over Etienne on my rankings at one point. And then I said to myself, because they're so close, I'm like, I'd rather have the upside of Etienne over Harris. That's what's the kicker for me right now. Once draft capital and landing spot comes into play, yeah, my mind might change. So leaning into what you just said about Williams, he seems to have been taking off like a rocket lately. Twitter seems ablaze for this kid. He's got the size. It seems like he's got the speed. He, he can catch. You know, he looks like he might have the makings of a third down back. Why aren't you willing to move him into this 1A, 1B conversation we're having about Harris and Etienne? Why isn't it a 1A, 1B, 1C, Todd? Before I get into this, I want to say I like Williams, and I like him towards the that 8-10 range of the first round for Superflex draft. But we're talking about one elite year. 2019 was good, and he had one elite year. And I think part of it is is recency bias and people wanting to have a hot take on something that's new. Harris and Etienne have been on the, have been on the radar for a long time. And somebody wants to be able to talk about the new guy on the block. He's a solid receiver. Not great. But you got to love his physicality. And you got to love his contact balance. The dude is a bruiser. 
But you're going to tell me that, like, Najee Harris is worse in that regard? Like, come on. What I will also say is Williams' speed on film is by far the slowest out of the three of them, in my eyes. So I do like Williams. It sounds like I'm knocking him a lot, but I'm more saying that what he lacks, those other two guys seem to have. And I don't see him going I don't see him getting the draft capital over those two guys either. Dave, agree? Disagree? Do you think Williams is going too far? Do you think he has further to go? What's your take? I agree that he's my RB3. I have some concerns. Like Todd mentioned, his him being the slowest of these three running backs. I have some concerns about his overall athleticism. I'm sorry, but if you are this size speed freak, I think you should be able to put Michael Carter on the back burner if you're this amazing player. I, I understand Michael Carter's good, but if Javante Williams is as good as we think he can be, why didn't he just dominate that backfield? That's kind of That kind of just is in the back of my mind. I, I'm not married to that idea, but it just is a concern. From what I've been, I've listened to, I think he has, he does have the size to be kind of a workhorse, but the pauses in his career best year, which was last season, was a 14.3 rush attempts per game. That that just does not profile as a three down back. That's, that makes me, we have to make a projection. And usually for me, if you didn't do it in college, what makes you think you're going to be able to do it in the NFL? That's just a concern. But for his size, he does, he isn't too shabby on catching the ball. So which is a which is a plus for me. He's got a 17 reception season and then that that holy 25 reception season which is that threshold going to the NFL and he did that sharing the backfield like I said with Michael Carter. In his final season, he had that 27.4 fancy points per game just to kind of give an overall picture of his what his production was like. He had I believe was it 19 rushing touchdowns in that season. So that it just shows you that he does have that kind of upside that we're talking about. However, I'm concerned because he didn't show it early on. And then on top of that, some positives why I think people are excited is because he is going to be a 21-year-old rookie, played at a young age, three years, and then he's coming out of North Carolina. So I understand why people could get excited about Williams. And it's going to be interesting to see where the NFL, if they like him. There's a realistic, he could go round two, he could go round four. And if he's a round four draft pick, he's not going to be in my top three He's not going to be a top three running back for me. I want to throw a devil's argument question at you that I'm confident you don't believe in because I don't really believe in it either. But you just said that if Williams really is the big deal that people are making him out to be, why couldn't he chase off Michael Carter? And no disrespect to Michael Carter, but if Williams is that superior, Carter shouldn't be a thing. What if people try and make the counter argument to that, that, you know, look at Nick Chubb, look at Josh Jacobs. These guys who were superior talents but couldn't fully secure their own backfields because of the presence of another player. Does that translate here at all? Well, let's also talk about those other players who are not at North Carolina. That's what I was looking for. Yeah. So what? expand on that. So North Carolina, it, for the record, has done a phenomenal job with that football program. And they're becoming a good team in the ACC. ACC, we know, is a good conference not a great conference when you look at a josh jacobs he went to bama you know chubb went to georgia these are powerhouses known for churning out that nfl level running back carter is not exactly uh, a big man you're looking at a guy who's 5'8 you know what i mean 200 pounds and he actually outplayed williams before this year 
So to me, it, it's it, you're not talking about the same level of competition that a Chubb would see or a Jacobs would see. We'll get to Carter later. I think Carter's phenomenal value. You're not talking about apples and apples here, man. Totally different programs, totally different situations. The other thing, too, is, like, took Williams, like, a year. Like, you wanted it for a year to outplay Carter. And Carter's still eight. It's not like they're getting, like, the creme of the creme of, like, running backs out of high school, too, man. It Yeah, that that doesn't play for me. Todd nails it on the head here. And just to go a little bit further besides the competition level of a Georgia or an Alabama, but at Georgia in particular, the sales pitch for recruits during the recruitment process is that they won't use them up. They're not going to wear you out and grind you into the dust to preserve you for the NFL because they're getting the best of the best running back recruits. I just want to add Mike Finero and EK Baller on Rookie Fever did a rookie profile of Javonta Williams and did a great job of talking about Javante Williams. I thought they captured his upside perfectly because he does have a lot of things that gets you excited. And I love the enthusiasm of that show. Really well done. I just have a little bit of concerns of what happens if he doesn't quite hit that upside about the draft capital and whatnot. But definitely go check out Finero and EK Baller's rookie profile. All right, fantastic. Moving into tier two. We have just two names in there. We have Kenneth Gainwell and we have Chuba Hubbard. So starting with Gainwell, because he's kind of a fan favorite here. You know, I've seen a lot of rookie mocks where he's going like back of the back of the first, you know, 110, 110 to 112, that kind of area. The RB4, the RB5 off the board, which is right about where you guys put him. But he's 5'11 and he's only 190. And it doesn't seem like he's profiling at all as a three-down back. He's going to be one of these like souped-up, change-of-pace, pass-catching backs. But that doesn't seem to have you guys shaken that much. You know, you got him above Hubbard, you got him above Carter. Like we said, Todd just thinks he's you know he's good value later on. Why are you still buying in to Gainwell this high for a guy that might not be able to see more than 10, 12 touches a game? Dave, what do you think? I don't have Gainwell as high as a couple other people in this tier for me. What I like about Gainwell is, is that one, I think there are outliers with size. It happens. People want to make it seem like it doesn't happen. It does happen. Kenny Gainwell has a 50 catch season to accompanied by a 16 and a half carry season. That's sexy with 16 touchdowns, really attractive. So he, he doesn't need to get 18 carries a game to be successful because he can catch balls better than probably any other running back in this class. He can go out to the slot. He can do back shoulder. Zachary was telling me he can do back shoulder catches. That's pretty next level for running back, which really makes attracts him for me. However, ultimately what I think how he ends up being in the NFL and what his profile kind of shows me, best case scenario, the lead in a committee, knowing how the biases the NFL has. So that's why he doesn't make it into that, that tier one. But would I be shocked if he came in a little heavier than everyone's saying? No, I wouldn't. And that's why he's in this, this tier. And his, he's in this tier because of his receiving upside. I love me backs who can handle the load and catch the ball. Now, well, I, do I think he's going to be getting 15 carries a game in the NFL? No. But he can, he can functionally move the ball on the ground. Apparently, he looks smooth as silk doing it. And being able to be a weapon out of the passing game is important. So that's why I like this in Gainwell. What do you think the best situation for him is? 
What's the ideal spot? What's that draft capital? Good question. Ideally, you'd like to see him get third round draft capital. And that's assuming everything we know now about his weight and all the biases that go into NFL and how they evaluate running backs. However, big however, even if he falls in the NFL because of his receiving upside, you could see dynasty managers devalue him in rookie drafts to the point where he falls mid-second round, late-second round of rookie drafts. Then, oh man, would I love that value in my rookie drafts because of that receiving ability that he has. He's got a nice floor in the NFL. And honestly, I haven't done a ton of work on good landing spots for rookies yet or free agents. I'm kind of waiting to see how these cuts go next week. But that being said, I don't want him to land with another plus receiving back. I'd like to have him have guaranteed minimal competition as a pass catcher to start with. So any team that needs pass catching would be optimal for Kenny Gainwell. Todd probably has this one all queued up. What do you think, Todd? Miami. Miami. Don't do not do that to Gaskins, Todd. Don't you dare. No, I mean, but, but that's what I'm saying, though. He actually like, complements with what he does with Gaskins very well. And like, Tua is like the perfect QB to be playing with him. That would be like a phenomenal place. And everybody's just in love with the idea of Miami using high draft capital on a running back. It's a terrible idea for Miami. They can go wait in the third round and go get a Gainwell. Gainwell is phenomenal value for they can go build in other places first. And he's going to fit right in with him and Gaskins. They don't need to spend the capital and build in other places. Go invest in more important positions than running back when you're like Miami. Yeah, no, I think Miami's a great spot for Gainwell, and I think he would fit in great with Gaskins. And they go in and just go get a plotter to fill in the fill in the, the that goal line work. All right, so Todd, reverse question to you. You just answered the second part, the first part. What do you like about Gainwell? Why are you buying it? And even if he's just going to be, you know, that compliment piece, why is he still worth it? So first of all, as a compliment piece, he's a high end compliment piece. If in a PPR league, he's going to feast. And wherever he is, he's the receiving back, unless he ends up with like Austin Eckler, which why would the Chargers do that? Gainwell is such a phenomenal receiver like Dave talked about. But this is the thing I love about Gainwell. When you watch him on film, He's so smooth. He's so silky. People talk about he should be more athletic for his size. I don't know what they're watching because to me, he looks like a pretty phenomenal athlete. Gainwell breaks tackles too. For a smaller guy, he runs hard and he does not go down on first contact very easily. Elite production as a redshirt freshman. Everybody knows that Antonio Gibson was there too. He was playing behind two other guys that were in the NFL later on. Uh, Henderson and Taylor too. He opted out to like protect his family. So I feel like the other thing with Gainwell is, is that a lot of times with a lot of these guys that have been opted out, people are finding reasons to like put other guys they just saw this year over them. Bateman is that way. Um, he hasn't played as much. He did play this year. Gainwell. Um, people are trying to poke holes and chase for other guys to go over him. It's a recency thing that we're not used to because we're not used to people opting out. The other thing, too, is Dave talked about he wouldn't be surprised if he gets bigger. I'm almost ready to guarantee that because the guy opted out. All he's been doing is working out and prepping for the NFL draft. You don't think he knows his weight is the number one thing holding him back from capital? I mean, he's got to test well, but that's all he's had to work on for this entire time. You see it on the field. 
the NFL wants receiving backs, and that's his floor. He could definitely lead a committee, and he could definitely be the lead back. I love Gainwell. Love him. Moving into the other part of tier number two, Chuba Hubbard, who seems like he did himself no favors by returning to school this year. You know, it feels like 2019, he was kind of kind of riding a high note. Um, the questions in his game, like his receiving work, his top end speed, not really big question marks. People aren't as worried about them. And then all of a sudden, it seems like heading into this year, they're just drawing additional scrutiny. And he has not helped his draft stock. But you guys have him in tier two. And this is going to be a two-parter. Why is he in tier two? Or three-parter. Why is he in tier two? Where was he? after last year and what's his ceiling can he get into tier one for you guys todd kick it off oh he was absolutely tier one for me man i invested in hubbard in a first round draft pick in my debbie startup last year and it hurt now it hurt i'm not gonna lie but why did i invest in that because i saw what he did in 2019 this guy is an unbelievable athlete track speed like olympic track speed he was on that route to represent Canada, over 2,000 yards rushing. And I'm going to plug somebody else. Katie Flower on the Rookie Fever episode was unbelievable about Chuba. She pointed out how everybody in Oklahoma State went down this year. Sanders was less efficient. Their quarterback, they lost four starting linemen this year. Of course there's going to be regression there. It's more of a of a knock on the entire team than it is on Hubbard. And Hubbard, unfortunately, had to be part of that. What's his ceiling? He could be the best back in this draft. That's his ceiling. That is a possibility. Am I betting on that? No. But I'm also not dumb enough not to say that it's not possible. High, high ceiling guy who's probably the most natural one-cut burner in this kind of a draft. That was a weird thing to say as a natural. He's a game breaker, like the best, like pure runner in the draft. And yeah, I, I, if he lands third round draft capital and gets in, I, him in San Francisco would just be unbelievable. That's just what I was going to ask you. Or Denver, maybe. And you said San Francisco. Any concern about the way they use running backs out there? No, no, not really. You think he's got enough, the talents there, where even if he goes to a place like that, that historically carves up that running back role he's good enough he can win it out i also think you have to remember that like it's rare to find workhorses at this point and you're not drafting hupper to be the workhorse you're drafting hupper to produce and find a good share in a committee if every single back you're picking you're trying to talk about whether they can be a workhorse or not you're not doing it right if you're spending first round capital on a on a running back yeah you better hope for that if you're in the second round and you got a guy that can catch the ball or has some upside as a runner that can be able to like get a good share and they might not be the guy, that's still going to be a guy that you can start as your RB2 or your flex. And that's a good pick in the second round. Do I think Trubbert's capable of beating out a committee to be the lead guy? Sure. But I also think that his floor is he's going to produce in the committee. You know, he just needs to be in the right system. If he ends up in a place where they're not particularly good at using running backs or they don't have a strong line. Yeah, it's not going to look as, like, as a good situation for them. So capital and landing spot means a lot for Hubbard's success, for sure. Fantastic. Dave, thoughts? 
takes, opinions. So this is where I'm going to disagree with Todd when it comes to my rookie running back evaluation process. My goal is to draft running backs with three down potential. I need them to have that running back, that receiving upside. And that's because I want them, even if they don't have that level of talent, where they're going to be the three down workhorse when they're drafted into the NFL. But if they're a backup or if they're in a committee and there's an injury or their situation changes, I want them to give me a chance to start them for a one, two, or three game stretch or even more if they gain more opportunity going forward because of that ability to produce on all three downs. Secondly, I just don't value running back twos. If you look at the running back twos from last season or in years past, on a per game basis, running back twos aren't winning you fantasy championships. Now, if you're stacked in other places and you just need a spot filler or injuries and yada, 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 yes, they're valuable. Don't, I'm not going to say that they don't matter. Remember, RB2s are replaceable to a certain extent. Because of the high injury rate for the running back position, you're going to get a lot of running backs off of waivers or off of benches or handcuffs that become available because of injuries, and they can give you that RB2 production for a game or two. So it's very replaceable type production for the RB2. However, when I'm making late rookie picks or even second round rookie picks, I want my running backs to have that receiving upside that will be a difference maker in my lineup. And even if they're not a difference maker, they have that receiving floor as well. However, what I do agree with Todd on is that Hubbard is right up there for me with having the highest ceiling in this class. And how does he do it? Well, he can carry the freaking rock. 25.2 carries per game during that monster season he had for Oklahoma State. 19 this season, not too shabby either. His moderate receiving ability which will also allow him to where I think to get him out in space and catch if he can get a couple targets a game and get him out in space so he can use that speed. That is exciting. That is what I love about Hubbard is that upside using that speed, get chunk plays. And what I learned about from the Katie Fowler on Rookie Fever episode and listen to other people, they didn't have a healthy O-line last year. They, I don't even think they return or they didn't return any O-line from the year before. He was dealing with some injuries. A lot of things went wrong for him last year. He dealt with some drama with the coach in the offseason as well. But he had a 20-touchdown season, that great year he had. He just has that ceiling. I was been in some drafts, rookie drafts, where he's gone the third, the first pick in the third round of a Superflex rookie mock. That is insane. That's juicy. It's happened twice. I think he's realistically going the mid-second round, especially in a, in my opinion, an RB poor type draft class. I like that upside with Hubbard. And I think he's got a decent floor because he's got that name recognition. There's a lot to like about Hubbard. Fantastic. All right. That wraps it up for tier two. Hit it quick and quit it. Tier three, we're looking at Michael Carter, Jamar Jefferson, and Kylan Hill. So guys, just jump in. Who do you like the most? Why do you like them? Who do you like the least? What aren't you buying in on with them? Who's got the most to gain? Who's got the most to lose here? Who's situation dependent? Who's a little more resilient? Give us anything and everything. Todd, go ahead. Uh, I'm going to go with Carter, man, because Carter was actually at the end of my tier two. He's just a really great all-around back. He's going to get knocked more for his size, which is fair. I mean, he's small, small, like 5'8", but he's built well. He's 200 pounds. Tough, tough runner. Still breaks tackles. Great contact. 
balance, very good speed, very good hands. There's a reality in the world where Carter plays better than Williams in the NFL. Am I going to bet on that? No, but it's possible. Totally possible. Why is he at the end of my tier two? Just because I think that he has that kind of potential to be like, and like, like obviously Dave and I disagree, is do I see him being that workhorse? No, but no one saw that with a guy with maybe like, I mean, Austin Eckler is a bad example because he was a, he was, nobody saw Austin Eckler coming, but nobody would have predicted that kind of profile for a guy to be a lead back. Carter's the same way. And I see him being very, very good player in a committee, but he's also talented enough to be commanding a good amount of share in a committee situation. I really like Carter. He passed my eye test. And the only other guy that I really like in that tier that got really close to my second tier was Trey Sermon and extremely productive at Oklahoma in his first two seasons. Over 2,000 scrimmage yards and 20 TDs as a freshman and a sophomore. Had a bit of an injury concern. Kennedy Brooks kind of comes in, takes the work. He goes to Ohio State, has a very good year. Very big, very strong runner. Absolutely lethal stiff arm. Rarely goes down in the first contact. And he's got better speed than you would expect from a, a bigger back. And what I like when you see about uh, Sermon on film is when he gets through the first hole, he's got really good vision about finding that second level crease to extend the play. He's a good player, man. And capital spot, obviously, we keep saying, like, means the world for him. But I think he's a phenomenal third round pick in rookie drafts. Yeah, Trey Sermon and Michael Carter. Those are my two guys in this tier that I really like. Nice. Loving the name drops. Great analysis. Dave, what about you? Take it away. Jamar Jefferson is in my tier two. Again, going back to my process, he's a 21-year-old rookie, only played three years in college. Oregon State, I don't think, is quite the competition level as other places. However, I like me some Jamar Jefferson. So when we talk about levels of likelihood, I don't think it's very likely that he becomes a three-down back in the NFL. There is a chance, but I don't think it's a good chance. that. But he does have parts of that where you could con- I could see people convincing themselves because he has three seasons over 15 rush attempts per game. Three or two of those seasons were 20 over 20, like we're essentially 20 rush attempts per game, which is so he can carry the load. And then I'm just intrigued because he had that one season early on with 25 receptions. And then in that, I think his final season, there was only six games, but he had a reception half per game. So does have some receiving ability. Doesn't, it doesn't quite flash like an ETN or a, certainly not a gain well in that capacity, but I, he's got the speed. You don't see anyone catching up to him from behind, which I like. And he can score touchdowns as well. Now, I looked at the numbers. I'm like, oh, I didn't really have great touchdown numbers. But then I look at the percentage of the touchdowns in his offense, average over 50% in his three seasons at Oregon State. He just intrigues me. But I'm just overall down on the running backs in this class. I'm just not thrilled with a lot of landing spots. I have no idea what Jefferson's draft capital is going to be. So I worry about Jefferson. Carter, I think I don't have the same, that love and feeling that Todd has for Carter. I think he kind of does. Like, I think he profiles as a committee back be, because of how his workload was in college. You know, 13.6 attempts per game, 14.2 in his final season. But he had three seasons over 20 receptions. That is sexy. But then again, I look, not a touchdown score really per se. So I think Carter could be used as a situational weapon. I just could see him maybe going for a short stretch. Like if the lead back in a committee goes down, he can fill in and provide you some great startable points, but I don't see him sustain that for a career. 
Hill is an attractive running back. I think he kind of has that same feel where he could come in, has some, can carry the ball, but has some receiving upside as well. But then the one guy that stood out for me was Jarrett Patterson, and he's a different type of player than the people I've talked about tonight. The guys who I've talked about who has that receiving ability, who could be a three-down back. Jarrett Patterson is a two-down grinder. He's going to be a 21-year-old rookie. He's from the MAC, so he's got that stigma from the, being the MAC. I think, so that you can say that. But he had over 20, he had 20 touchdowns in a game or per se, in a season and 19 in another season. And he had over 22 carries per game in his final two seasons and 25 fantasy points per game or per game in one season and 35 fantasy points per game in another season. Whew, that just stood out to me as eye popping. But that's in the Mac. That's for Buffalo. So just he kind of just stood out for me as a hey, if we're not, if I can't get everything I want in a player, I like his ability to, he like, he was a two down great. He could handle it. So I, that was attractive for me. Nice. All right. I like Hill a lot too, man. He's fun to watch. That was a good call. All right. So that does it. The rookie running back tale of two rivals consensus tiers. In tier one, you had Harris and Etienne and Williams. Tier two, Gainwell and Hubbard. Tier three, you were looking at Carter, Jefferson, and Hill. And tier four is just anybody and everybody left. All right, so for closing arguments, guys, who stands the most to gain? Who stands the most to lose in a landing spot here? Who's got the most fluidity to this? Dave, for you, who, who's who got the biggest question mark? Who's got the most movement possible to them? Awesome. Well, to wrap up my rookie running back evaluation process, I'm trying to evaluate the NFL workload or volume that they can handle, and that's by determining the workload that they handled in college, their receiving ability, and their ability to score touchdowns on the goal line or just by being a dynamic player, which reminds me, returns and returnability predicts dynamism and their ability to work in the open field. So that's also slightly goes into my process. And now, who do I think can move up and down my tiers the most? Like I said, to start off the show, Javante Williams, he could really solidify his position in my tier with great draft capital, some nice athleticism testing. And then in my next tier, Chuba Hubbard or Chuba, I don't even know how to pronounce it yet. And Jamar Jefferson, who's in my second tier. They are very draft capital dependent. And then later on, I'm trying to think of some people who could fly up my board. Nothing really jumps off the page for me. Michael Carter, I think could really solidify how I feel about him if he gets decent draft capital. But any of these running backs they get good draft capital. That's going to either solidify, move them up my ranks. And if they fall in the draft, they'll move down my ranks. Fantastic. Todd, over to you. Close it up. Same questions. So for me, for like how I do my tiers, it's all about like, first of all, it's just based off of talent, man. Who do I just think is just the best player? You, once you see the field, like what are you going to do? But ways of being able to find the field, right? That's why Carter makes it in my, my, my tier two is because he could receive and like, when you actually watch him on film, like he's a pretty solid all-around back and a very good athlete. How you're going to find different ways to get on the field, and once you're on the field, what's your ceiling going to be? So for me, ceiling has a lot to do with it. That's why I'm really high on Gainwell. Gainwell gets on the field, and he gets opportunities to get targets. He's got a huge ceiling. Hubbard, he gets in a good situation, like a zone blocking scheme, where they're going to be able to get him that one cut and let him go and use his speed. That's a huge situation for him. That's why those guys are high. Because once I see them in a situation that I like, 
then I'm I know that the upside is there. It's all about upside with me. Versatility definitely plays into it too because that gives you more opportunities to just to see the ball. So for guys that I think that can gain the most, I think uh, that's definitely Hubbard and Gainwell. I think Hubbard and Gainwell are two guys that are very attached to capital and landing spot for their success. And I think Javante Williams is actually the guy that could slide the most because I think with everybody, what they're already investing into him before we even see landing spot, if he does not end up in an ideal situation and you're still committing that kind of capital, I'm a little hesitant about investing so confidently in him like that. I like that one too of Williams right there at the end. It's a bubble ready to burst, right? At some point, it's going to become too outsized and unsustainable. Right. And, and the thing is, like, I like Javante Williams. Like, that's the funny thing, man. I love watching him play. He is a freaking cannonball, dude. But the way that people are evaluating him right now, it's like he's going to be a first-round pick in rookie drafts before we even know what happens. He should be a second-round pick, but we the landing spot is something that does matter to me with him a lot. Quick question, guys. Where do you have this top tier ranked among the 2020 running backs right now? That was a great question. So for ranking these guys, obviously JT's one. That's that's a given. With Indy and like what he did, he's one. Swift uh, definitely showed what he could do. That versatility, that receiving upside. He should eat in Detroit. If they don't, then you lose all faith in Detroit. That's that. Next. At three, Acres is in a phenomenal situation in uh, the Rams. I didn't really like him pre-draft, but I'm not dumb enough to not to just let go of my previous thoughts on him before he was drafted and know the situation that he's in now. So Acres would be three. I think you got to put Dobbins four, actually, being in the running situation that he's at, even though he's got Lamar that's going to come into that. So then once we get to that situation, I have to, you have to go with Antonio Gibson, who has a chance to be a every down like lead back at five. Now I'm jumping in with Etienne and Harris because of their talent. And the only reason I do I think they could be better than an Acres or a Gibson, sure. But I know what those other guys' roles are. I'm not going to devalue those guys because I know they have a, a you know they have a clear road to volume and success. You know. With these other guys, there's still question marks because we don't know where they are. We don't know their draft capital. So then after that, I'll put in CEH, still being with the Chiefs after only one year. I'm still going to buy into that before I start saying Javante Williams. Oh, actually, I forgot about James Robinson. Put James Robinson right in front of CEH, then put CEH, then put Javante Williams. No, nobody from this year is within the top three. You can make the argument for them in that same kind of... Um... Like Ceh Acres, kind of the muddy, the waters get muddy there with Etienne and Harris, but Williams is the number eight for me. Whether it's blind eye, whether it's knowing the landing spot, knowing the production, all that, he's eight. And Harris and Etienne wouldn't be any higher than again blind eye four or five, knowing what they did five or six. What about you, Dave? None of my top tier running backs of Etienne, Harris, or Williams sniff. Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, Cam Akers, or even J.K. Dobbins. And not knowing the 2021 landing spots, draft capital, or even test athletic measurables, none of my tier one match 
James Robinson. They don't match Antonio Gibson either. It will be a discussion where they fall in relation to CEH because I'm almost willing to just take CEH, take these rookies, re-roll them. Maybe they can have a higher ceiling, but that's when I seriously start to think about it is when CEH. All right, guys. Awesome time tonight. Awesome discussion. All right. Good night tonight. I am at FF underscore Banterman on the Twitter machine. I'm here for your dynasty takes, rookie needs, Debbie needs, and any advice on your jump shots. On top of that, you can find me over at the IDP, guys. I am stoked that I just released my first Debbie article of the offseason, 1,500 words on RB transfers. Eric Gray, Ingram, Charbonneau, Ty Chandler. I get into some really good players. Some guys that are actually probably be on the rookie radar next year, gentlemen. That was a good one, and I'm still banging out some rookie profiles for the IDP Rookie Magazine. And in two weeks, I'll be on Hammerjacks with with Kevin, where we're going to get an argument over uh, Debbie wide receivers that we've been having on Twitter for too long now. Dave, where are you going to find you, buddy? You can find me at FF underscore Spaceman. Dave Wright on Twitter. You can also find me over at DLF. I swear I am going to be writing some stuff. I actually have some deadlines coming up on some writing stuff, so I will be. I have to write soon, so I'll be writing over the weekend for DLF. You can also find me over at Rookie Fever, having a blast with Mike Finero with Shane Swagger. We're having a blast talking rookies. I've got the fever. I've actually, I feel like I'm actually the one throwing a little bit of wet blanket on the class over uh, on Rookie Fever because I don't quite have that sparkle in my eye on this class, but I'm having a lot of fun. Todd, tonight was a great time. I think Sean had to step away to take care of the baby. I'll take, I'm going to take the reins here. Thank you everyone for listening to A Tale of Two Rivals on behalf of myself, Sean, and Todd. We had a blast tonight. I hope you did as well. Give us a rating and review on your favorite podcasting platform. That goes a long way. We don't ask that very much. So if anyone would do that, that mean a lot to us. And before we leave you, remember, never trade with Todd. That definitely would have been more felt if I did it. <laughs> you don't you don't have my flavor, son. Yeah, no, I see I I, I I didn't know exactly where I was going when I started, so I was just all over the place. <laughs> like most like like most of your draft processes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um I kinda wanna go to bed. I do too. Tonight. And then I, I will say though, 